Hey guys, you're listening to the Braveheart Podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit braveheartministries.org. But yeah, we've been a part of Upper Room Dallas since the beginning, and, and to see what God has done just birthing family uh, just in different places here in Denver has been so amazing. I've come up here many times, and, uh, and I just love this house. I love uh, the people here. I love what God's doing here, and every time I come here, I get excited because I receive so much. Um, you guys in worship, where, I don't know where you went. That was so insane. Wasn't that good? Can we honor them? <clears throat> It was such a fragrant, like, beautiful sacrifice. Uh, I feel like the Lord was so pleased with that. Um, well, I want to I do this. I want to set the stage tonight. Um, for those of you who are new, or uh, maybe you've been at the upper room a while, but um, how many of you, um, you know that home where you go to and you take off your shoes right when you get in there, because that's just what you do, it's that homey feel, and there's a big table and someone's hosting you, there's a bottle of wine, there's fresh bread, and you sit down at the table, and you're just excited. No one doesn't like that environment, amen? And, and I, really, I really sense tonight the Lord wanted to bring us to the table. Um, we're going we're gonna to hop into the word of, of God, and it's going to be um, amazing and just, uh, I love the word. How many of you love the word? Not enough of you. <laughs> <laughs> like the word is so it's so good it's life to us amen I love the word of God and I sense tonight I just had this picture I don't know where you've been I, Michael was saying this I don't know where you've come from uh, but but I just feel like whether you've uh, whether you're sick you can come to the table tonight whether you have a broken heart you can come to the table tonight you can take your shoes off, you can come to the table. Whether you feel unworthy to be in God's presence, you can come to the table. Whether you've been divorced or you're single or you're married or you're going through uh, just a severe trial, maybe you lost a child, you're welcome at the table. Sometimes when we get in this environment where there's a podium and there's lights and there's audio and it, it can feel so impersonal and I, you know, the, the sense of, oh, uh, we've got to now do a transaction here. I'm going to get up here and do a dog and pony show and impress you with my knowledge. Uh, and, then, and then you kind of maybe get a couple of spiritual points to better your life. Maybe you feel better about your week now because you went to church and you got some things you can apply. And, and that's, that can be good. That's not all bad. The dog and pony show would be kind of bad. It wouldn't be very interesting. Um, but, but what's better is, is fellowship with the Lord and with each other. Amen. And that's what this is. We're, 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 we're in this cool place, but really what we're doing is we're gathering around the Lord. That's why we spend an hour just looking at him, beholding him. How many of you are honest? It, it was hard to tarry in that place for an hour. It's okay. No one's going to be honest. That's all right. Awesome. Thank you, Donnie. It can be hard sometimes. <laughs> Listen, are we not, we're not going to get real in church? Okay. Uh, Terry, define Terry, Justin. You define it. I don't know what it means. It means to wait. It means to like, to wait in that place where you're just like, okay, you're singing a song and you're, and you're in it and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Anyone relate to that? 
your, your brain was just off on those emails or you're coming in or whatever it is. And so we're, we're at this table and I really felt like the Lord wanted you to feel comfortable tonight, that he wanted you to feel at ease, that he wants to, he wants to feed you himself and he wants you to eat and to drink of him. How many of you know the Lord can be consumed? Oh, he can be consumed. <laughs> he can be consumed. He made himself consumable. He said, I'm, I am the bread of life. And his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. We can consume him tonight. When he made covenant with his disciples, it was around a table. Really important stuff in the Bible happens around a tight table. Amen? You, you will get more tonight in your spirit, gathering around, putting your feet up. If you want to take your shoes off, take your shoes off. Just make sure you have your same socks on. I'm just kidding. If, if you want to take your shoes off, you want to put your feet up, and I feel like it's important because we're going we're gonna to go into the Word, and, and I feel like sometimes we approach this time with our minds instead of our spirits and our hearts. Amen? But I really felt like tonight that the Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with this. Is that cool? It is so echoey. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, that's much better. Isn't that better? Praise God. All right. I feel better. I just had to get comfortable. That thing, I was about to break out into a boy band song. <laughs> no one would have wanted that. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, rather. I heard the Father say in worship to try to live the Christian life. Uh, without his smile is suffocating. To try to live the Christian life without the smile of your father is suffocating. It will suffocate you to do worship, to do prayer, to do Bible study, to try to walk righteously without your daddy smiling over you. He's smiling over you tonight. And his affections as a father for his children are your life source. His affections. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That means his joy over you is actually what gives you strength. If you've been disconnected from your father's joy, meaning tonight you have a question mark, you don't know, you, you, you haven't really felt the warmth of his embrace and his touch and his smile and his affection, I guarantee you spiritually you feel weak and frail. And so tonight my hope is to, is to kind of maybe... Uh, as we just eat this bread and drink this wine, that, that you're, you're put back underneath the smile of your Father. Amen? The Christian life is, is, is about enjoying God. It's about enjoying God. It's about fellowship with the Father and with His Son. Did you know that? You can get so much done as a son or daughter of God. You can accomplish so much for God if you learn to enjoy God. If you can learn to drink of him, if you can learn to eat of him. Did you know that? And I, and I feel like there's a, there's a shift happening in the body of Christ right now where, where sons and daughters are learning to abide in the vine. And as they do, they bear much fruit and their joy becomes full. Amen? 
And so I want to look tonight, um, I want to look tonight at the, at the fall, and I want to just, I'm going to highlight some things, and I'm going to go all the way to Revelation. Is that cool? So we're going to look at what went wrong in the garden, and then we're going to fast forward all the way to an invitation uh, that the Lord gave his people. Are you ready? If you're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, say amen. Wow, you guys got there. All right, look at this. I think this is so important because how many of you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this in a second. How many of you know in the church we have said, and it's true, that, that when Adam and Eve fell, they, they, they broke God's command, they fell, sin entered in, and they were separate from God, and then it all went downhill from there. Amen? But when I, I that's good, that's true, but when I, when I read this story and I read Revelation, I see three things that got really jacked up in the garden. There was a lot more than that, but there was a domino effect that every other sin and sins happened as a result of these dominoes that fell in the garden. And I think when you see what happened in the garden, and then we're going to fast forward to look at the invitation and revelation from Jesus, we're all going to come back to this place of fellowship and dining, and, and we're going to see that everything in he did, that he did through the gospel, through his life, through the death, burial, and resurrection, through the ascension, through a Pentecost, through his return, everything he did is to undo those dominoes that fell in the garden. Are you with me? Because we, we've kind of blanket said, well, it was just sin happened and then everything went haywire. And at a high level, that's true. But I think there's some strength that will be imparted to us, some understanding that will come into our hearts that will allow us to know God more tonight. Amen? So let's look at this. The Bible says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Um, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows... (laughs) that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Everyone say, eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What tree was it? What tree was it? The knowledge of good and evil, right? So Satan's telling her, you won't die, you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw, everyone say saw, That the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Say delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would illuminate this word to our hearts. That we would be able to consume it. That we would eat it. That it would strengthen us. That it would nourish us. That it would make us spiritually fat spiritually strong, spiritually uh, robust, God, would you cause us to enjoy the, the, the meal tonight that you've prepared for us in the spirit, that we would all 
Uh, God, leave this place, God, having been uh, feasting upon you and who you are. We thank you that even in this text, Genesis 3, when mankind fell, Lord, we can know your heart. God, that these words are your heart on a page. And so we come to it not to learn something about you, but to fellowship with you, to, to have deeper connection with your heart, to understand what you're like, to understand, God, who we are now in covenant with you, God, and so that we can walk as faithful sons and daughters of yours. So Holy Spirit, come and do something amazing in our hearts tonight. Would you impart, God, the implanted word that we receive with meekness that's able to save our souls, God, that there would be a a measure of salvation imparted to your your people tonight. God, a measure of salvation that you would save, uh, God, us tonight from the things that plague us, from the fall of man, from sickness, disease, God, sickness in our soul, whatever it is, God, that you would bring us closer to you tonight, that we would have confidence to fellowship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, everyone knows this story, right? Amen? How many of you, that was the first time you've ever read that story? Okay. Awesome. Praise God. So listen. So we all know the story. God says to Adam, he says, hey, I don't want you to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat it, you'll surely die. So then Satan comes and he says, hey... He questions the thing, they eat the tree. Now here's what's fascinating to me. Here's what I want to just show you the dominoes. The first moment they ate of the tree, verse 7, chapter 3 says, then their eyes were opened. The first effect of sin upon the humans was it opened their eyes. It's the first thing that it did. Think about that for a second. Their eyes were opened. That means before they ate, their eyes, whatever eyes this is talking about, were closed. They ate. It says, then their eyes were opened. Okay? So, so before they ate of the tree, God, this is, this is Adam and Eve. These, this is God's perfect specimen. How many of you know Adam and Eve, before they ate of the tree, they could walk with God, they could talk with God, and nothing inside of them shrunk back from knowing God? They they weren't self-conscious. They they weren't aware that they were less than God. They had fellowship with God. They, they, they 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 were friends. They walked with Him. There was no sin yet so that God created them to have fellowship because God's a God of love. Amen? He loves fellowship. How many of you know this is a love story from beginning to end? We've made it a lot about sin and everything that's happened, and there's true. We need to deal with that. But this thing is a love story. He loves you. And so Adam and Eve were there enjoying their father, enjoying their creator. They walked with God. They, 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 they had fellowship with God. I, I heard this phrase today as I, as I was flying here. The man who's friends with God is the richest man in all the world. Friendship with God is the wealthiest you can be. Friendship with God. It's the highest prize. Friendship with your Father. Friendship with Jesus. It's, 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 the, it's the highest reward. You can have all the money in the world, and if you don't have friendship with God, you're broke. It's so true. Everyone's longing for friendship with God. Did you know that? Everyone. Everyone. They, they may deal with that longing differently, but everyone's longing for it. And I'll show you from this text. And so, so all of a sudden... 
The first thing that we know, biblically, that Adam and Eve knew, because now there was a knowledge that entered into them that they didn't have before. Why? Where did the knowledge come from? Come on, don't all say it at once. It came from the fruit of the tree that they ate, right? So they they took the, the fruit, picture this, they took fruit, and within that fruit, there was a knowledge of good and evil. It was a divine knowledge. It was a heavenly knowledge. The Bible says that, that, that a little bit later, God, he looks at man and he says, behold, man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. Isn't that interesting? He says, behold, man has become like one of us. I thought they were already made in the image of God. Well, did God make a mistake? He left that out. When he was making man in the dust and he took Eve out of the rib, he left that part out. He left them without the knowledge of good and evil. Think about that for a second. When God made man, man didn't know good and evil. You could have asked him. Someone could have, another beast could have walked up and said, hey, is that good? Is that bad? They were like, I don't know. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't discern good or evil. Think about that. Now, now look, we, we fast forward to sin and, and murder and lust and, and pornography and anxiety and depression and fear and death. We fast forward to all those things. But before any of that, the first domino that fell in the human heart was a knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as they, this knowledge entered, to their, entered into their heart, their eyes were opened. This is what your Bible says in verse 7. Their eyes were opened, and what did they know? What did they see with their open eyes? That they were naked. Now listen, have you ever been, this is really important, this is, a, this is a, a, an equipping moment. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone that's processing with you? about a situation in their life, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, and they're just processing with you, and they say something about that friend that's a mutual friend or, or someone that you know really well, and they're like, yeah, you know, I was with, um, I was with old, old Johnny over here, and, and uh, we were just, you know, we were in this work environment, and man, he, he, he said this one thing, but then he, he, keeps, he keeps changing his mind. He says it, but he doesn't do it, and it's making me not trust his word. And, and it keeps happening, and you share like three or four examples with a friend about someone that did that thing, and now all of a sudden, you opened their eyes to something about that person that they can't unsee, because now when they see that person, that's what they see. When they, when they see that person again, they're like, they're like, oh man, there's that person that can't keep his word. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Someone shared something with you, you were blind to that aspect of their life, they shared it with you, your eyes opened to it, and you're like, ooh. And it made you put your guard up, right? You put your guard up, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can trust that person because of what they shared with me. Are you guys with me? Help me out. Smiles and nods and those things are, if we're at a dinner table, you know, it's okay to talk and just make, so listen, So this is what happened to Adam and Eve. They saw something about themselves that they couldn't unsee. And what it did was it wasn't about someone else. They defiled their own conscience. Come on. They became self-conscious and then, so that's the second domino that fell. Knowledge of good and evil made man self-conscious. Self-conscious is just a, a fancy way of saying they were aware of themselves. Which means before they were not aware of themselves in that way. 
And when Adam and Eve became aware of themselves, they began to try to cover and strive. Striving entered into the picture this moment. They began to cover themselves. They hid from the presence of God. And fellowship was broken with God. They began to, they, they, they no longer saw God rightly. They were blinded to who God was. Does God love me? Why? Because they saw themselves. And ever since that moment that mankind, that's how mankind was cut off from the presence of God. See, we say, well, mankind was just cut off. Well, no, how was he cut off? He was cut off through the knowledge of good and evil that opened his eyes to himself, which caused him to hide in shame from God. And when he hid in shame from God, fellowship was broken, and then all manner of wickedness ensued after that. Come on, are you with me? Sin, sin, the, the, the sins that we talk about are fruit of this, these three crucial dominoes that fell in the garden. They're crucial that you understand this. Because if you don't understand those dominoes that fell, you won't understand how to get back in right relationship with God. If, the, if one of the major problems in the first effect of the fall of man was the knowledge of good and evil, then the gospel should remedy that. The gospel should somehow take that out of you. Or at least put it back in a way that's redeemed that doesn't violate your fellowship with God. Which it does, hint, hint. <laughs> Are you guys with me? So you see it. The first effect of sin. Problem. The knowledge of good and evil. The second, self-consciousness. The third, shame and hiding from God. A question mark arose in man for the first time ever. Does God love me? Will he love me now that I'm naked? Come on. And when that question mark came in the heart of man, every man that was born after Adam had the question mark in his heart. Will God love me? Am I loved by God? And you know what the result of that is? And I'm going to jump to the end here. And we're going to hop into this text because there's a, there's a remedy, there's an invitation in this. But ever since that moment, mankind has been striving. Striving for what? There's, there's never striving for no reason. Striving exists in the heart of man because there's a burning question in need in the human heart. And that's, I want to be loved by my daddy. I want to be loved by my daddy. There's an instinctual longing in the human heart, every human heart, for the affection and love of the eternal Father. It's, it, it, I heard it said like this, um, I, I've had the privilege, man, God has blessed my wife and I, we have four kids and one coming, and it's incredible, the blessing. It took us like three and a half years, we couldn't get pregnant, um, so I just, I've just got so much faith, God's been so faithful in that area. Um, and they're young, they're all stacked, and so you can pray for my wife. Her name's Christy, pray for her. <laughs> pray for me too, but pray for her. Um, we have six, five, three, and one. And then the next one's due in February. So y'all can praise God for that. But listen, something so amazing about babies. When they're born... I've watched this with my own eyes now four times. When they're born, babies have a longing for something that they've never had. It's wired in them for milk. They're wired for it. Their mouth starts moving for it. They're, they're looking for it. They will literally, there's stories of babies literally crawling to get up 
to, to get to it. Like, like it's incredible. There's, a, there's this massive instinct in an infant, a seconds-old infant, for milk. Now think about this for a second. Babies don't know milk exists. They don't know. They've never had it. They've never tasted it on their lips. But they know it's there. They're born with it. It's the same with the human heart. You're born and there's this longing for a father's love. There's like, it's like I need heaven's milk in my soul. Deep cry. It's the, it's the effect of the fall of man on the human heart. It's a cry. It's a longing. It's a desperate longing. Because listen, if Adam and Eve were birthing children, that longing wouldn't be there because they would be born into fellowship. Oh, y'all didn't get that. If Adam and Eve hadn't fallen and had a kid, that kid would have been born into fellowship. He would have never known what it was like to, be, to have a, a vacuum in his heart because he would have been born into fellowship, into family. But because of the fall of man, there's an ache, there's a longing, there's a desperation in our hearts. From the time we're little, we're looking for it. We're looking for it in our natural parents. And, and, but ultimately, we have to find it in God. And if you don't find it in God, there's all manner of coping mechanisms that we call sin, that we call darkness, that we call covering up loincloths and fear and pride. And, and every manner of evil comes from trying to satisfy that longing in our heart. Destroying this microphone. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? Go to Revelation chapter 3, all the way to the end of your book. There it is. Revelation chapter 3, we'll start in verse 14. Now here's what I'm, I'm not going to do. So we see these dominoes that fell in the beginning, and we see that ultimately the, the, the main consequence of the fall was broken fellowship. You see that? You see how it happened? You see that it happened through a knowledge, through self-consciousness, shame, and then hiding, and then from that place, we opened ourselves up to the evil one. All we saw was flesh, and so we manifest flesh. Our eyes were blinded. Look at this. Our eyes were blinded to God and opened to us. Okay, that's why Jesus said in John 9, don't, you don't have to turn there. Look at this, I just want to read it to you quick. When, when Jesus opens the eyes of that blind guy in John chapter 9, and, and his disciples were like, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus was like, no. He's like, I'm going to just heal him. Uh, it's not exactly how it went down, but um, John chapter 9, uh, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. This is going to make a lot more sense when you, see, when you hear Jesus talking about seeing. When you see that the, the problem at the garden was what we saw and what, that our eyes were opened, it'll, just, the, it'll click when you see him talking about see and how you see and what you see. Look at this. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. (laughs) 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now, or or he says it this way, or you would have uh, no sin. You would not have sin. If you were blind, you would have not sin. Think about that. He tells the Pharisees, if you were actually blind, you would have no sin. Interesting. What What does being blind have to do with sin? So look what he says. He says, but now that you say we see, our guilt remains. What was he saying? He's saying, at the fall, your eyes were opened and you saw good and evil. And now you Pharisees are, you have identified with the fall of man by saying, yeah, we see. We see by this knowledge that we received, we see good and evil. But what Jesus was really looking for people is to acknowledge that when it comes to, to, to seeing God, we're blind. Come on, the Pharisees, when it, as, as it related to seeing God, they were blind. As related to seeing good and evil, they could see. They liked to live by, that's good and that's evil. And they stood as the, as the, uh, uh, as the authority, as the gatekeepers of good and evil, right? They stood there and we go, we know what's good and we know what's evil. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. If you were blind, if you were actually blind and acknowledged your blindness, you would have no guilt. Why? Because you're acknowledging your sin, which when you say acknowledge sin, you're acknowledging that you're blind to, to what God is like. You're acknowledging that when, when Adam fell, you fell with him and you can't see God. When, when we say, hey, we need you to acknowledge sin, the primary thing we need you to acknowledge is acknowledge that you don't know what God's like. It's not, all, oh, I need to say all the things I've done wrong. Yeah, you can do that, and he'll clear your conscience, and he'll forgive what you, what you did. But ultimately, the sin produced this blindness to what God is like. They, Adam and Eve could no longer see God. So they were blind to God, but they were open to see good and evil. And that's been man's problem ever since. Do you want to live by the knowledge of good and evil that you received at the fall of man? Or will you acknowledge your blindness and say, I don't see God and I need your help? God's crazy. That's why you look at the road to Damascus. And when Jesus showed up to Paul, what happened to his eyes? This is the guy who knew everything. And Jesus is like, nah, I'm going I'm to show you something. Let me show you something. <laughs> let, me get that, let me get that pure halogen straight from the throne room. And Paul's like, he's like, whoa. What is that? And he was blinded for three days. Why? Because he wanted to remind Paul that his seeing was not actual seeing. That when it came to knowing God, he was blind. Uh. (laughs) So good. It goes down better if you drink it and eat it instead of trying to think it. Some of you are trying to think it. You're like, what ingredients are in this? Listen, the chef, God, the Father, he made this in heaven. He's serving it to you. Just receive it. We've been in the kitchen a long time over this thing. It's rude when you're at the table and you're like, you're eating it and you're like trying to, mm, what's in this thing? Let me, can, do you have the labels to that? I feel some of you are doing that to me right now. You're like, want to see the labels of this ingredients. It's okay. I'll show you. They're in the back. 
I'll show you the labels. I'll, we can, what am I, come on, help me, Lord. (laughs) So, fast forward, and this same Jesus is, is wanting to send a message to a church. And this is what he says. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Ask the Lord, what was I doing in your mouth? <laughs> I don't know. The only thing I could think of was if, if we can taste and see that the Lord is good, then he can taste and see what our life's all about. And he's like, that's not hot or cold. I don't like that. That's the picture. You with me? Come on. It's okay to have fun in church. <laughs> All right, look what he says. I'm going to spit you out. Listen, no, there's no condemnation here. But let's look at what he's trying to say. For you say, for you say. He's talking to this church, and he's saying that they said something. Now, how many of you know when the Lord brings something to bear, he's not bringing accusation? See, sometimes we read this scripture with the lens of the accuser because we're used to the accuser's voice. So we think that Jesus is accusing and we don't actually like this text because it makes us feel uncomfortable and we don't feel right with our dad. But how many of you know a father disciplines those he loves? If you're not being disciplined by your father, you may not be following God. Oh, come on. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, I think it is one, it says, he who hates correction is stupid. Don't be stupid. Receive correction. Here's why we have a hard time from people and in the church receiving correction because we're not confident in our relationship with him. We haven't seen correction modeled. We've seen it modeled out of anger, out of frustration. And usually when there's correction, there's a distancing of the corrector from the correctee. Saying, you get your act together and I will, and, and then I will come and get back close to you. God doesn't discipline that way. He disciplines in your grill and he says, now that I've disciplined you, I'm going to empower you to walk this thing out. So you should welcome the discipline of the Lord. And here's often how discipline comes. It comes through him challenging a mindset you have about him or about yourself or about someone. He, he confines you to thinking rightly about him, about you and about others. Well, I can't believe so-and-so, da-da-da. And God's like, wait a minute. Wait, I died for them. You know, that's a simple correction. But that's a rebuke. That's the way the father rebukes. And you're like, yeah, but Lord, they did this. And he's like, yeah, but let me help you see them as I see them. Let me help you not regard them according to the flesh, but after the spirit. Let me see what's going on. Oh, they're Lord, they're afraid, they're insecure. That's why my boss is acting that way towards me. Now all of a sudden you walk in and you're, you were frustrated, but now you have compassion, you see through there, and you can actually bring a word of encouragement in life instead of get your feelings hurt. Right? That's discipline. Discipline will change your mind about a situation and bring you back into a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. God always disciplines you into righteousness, peace, and joy. 
That's what his discipline's for. That's the kingdom. All right, so look, he's, 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 he's saying what they said. He's, he's addressing an attitude of their heart that if you're wise and Jesus is addressing an attitude of your heart that's wrong, we should receive it and go, thank you, God, for pointing out my GPS was heading the wrong way and your correct course correct me back to the center of your heart. Because he always corrects us back into this crazy, abundant, like drunk in the Holy Ghost, joy, lifestyle. He, he loves that. We honor God when we walk in joy and freedom. You know God gets honor when you're free from like yourself and from sin. Like that honors God. He wants you to be free. It's okay to be free. It's okay to walk free from sin. Can I give you permission? You have permission in the new covenant to just be a freedom ball. Like, hey, how, how's your struggle with sin going? Well, I don't, I don't know. I had crazy time with the Lord this morning. I'm loving my wife and kids well. Everything's going amazing at work. God's blessing me beyond what I deserve. It's just, it's crazy. Well, no, come on, brother. Come on, no, no. I'm fellowshipping. I'm drinking with God. And if he, if he highlights an area where I'm, where I'm missing the mark, I'll repent and confess. But I'm not thinking and like, all right, let me get my pruning shears out. Everyone get your pruning shears out. Come on now, it's time to prune our own vines because we don't have a a father or a vine dresser that can do that. Sorry, that wasn't nice. (laughs) Hey, he talks to me that way. I don't know you that well, so I can't talk to you that way. He talks to me that way. He said, son, you prove that you don't trust me when you try to prune yourself. That's what he said. You prove that you don't trust me as a vine dresser and that you're not trusting in my design that I've given you by the Holy Spirit when you try to force out fruit that I created you to bear just by receiving my love and affection. This, I know this is a massive paradigm shift for many of you, but I promise you, I promise you, there's, there, is, there is holiness in this place there is, there is, I'm talking about righteousness and holy, there, it's there. It's here in this place, I promise you. Intimacy is in this place. Freedom and joy is in this place. True godliness and true like religion that's undefiled and pure is in this place of abiding in the vine, letting your daddy have the pruning shears and just saying, God, I receive. I receive. Now what will happen, what will happen in that place is your father will give you assignments and you will do more by accident than you ever could try to do before. You really will. And and your life all of a sudden will line up with holiness. You will look like him. Listen, there's people out there claiming this righteousness teaching and identity teaching and they're continuing to live in sin and it's an abomination. It's whack. Someone's like, oh, I'm a son of God, and they're just out having a license to sleep around and, and saying, it's like, are you kidding me? Don't, it's like, you don't play with it. How can we who died to sin still live in it any longer? How can we who died to sin still live, it, live in it any longer? For a Christian, sin becomes alien behavior. It's not normal. Sinful behavior is not normal. For the body of Christ. It's not. It's not. Listen, 
if you're struggling and you're, in a, in, in your, and you're being sanctified and you're growing up into Christ, that's normal because you're walking in fellowship with God. But you will be sanctified and you'll, you will have progression and dominion over sin as you walk with God. If you're not progressing and growing up into Christ-likeness and righteousness, you may not be walking with God. You may have gone over here to a religious system where you're ticking the box, you're trying your hardest, but you're not actually bearing fruit. Are you with me? That's not to condemn anyone, but if you follow Jesus and you walk with Him, you will walk righteously by the grace of God. For sin will no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. And under grace, you're in covenant and you're in fellowship. And we have an advocate with the Father if we sin, First John says. We have an advocate. Listen. If you sin and you're in the body of Christ, the Bible says Jesus presents himself to you. He bursts into your shameful little pity party you're having. He's like, hey, I'm your advocate. I'm here to help you. If you sin, this is how I'm presenting myself to you. And I'm not going to help you just by skirting it over. I'm going to look you in the eyes. I'm going to call you higher, remind you that you've been born again, and say, let's walk in righteousness. And I will give you my grace and my spirit and my smile to do it under. Oh, you don't, you don't get your kids to do anything by shaming them and whipping them. You smile at them and you say, I am going to get in your mess and I'm going to help you out of this. And you will know that I am with you until you overcome this, no matter how long it takes you. That is your Father in heaven. I don't care what you've been struggling or how long you've been struggling with it. You have a God in heaven who has committed and covenanted himself by his own blood and body to get you out of your mess. Mm. Look, so he says, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing Think about that. Not realizing. You have a perception that he's saying that's wrong. And he doesn't say this to their shame. He says this to snap them out of it. He says your perception is wrong. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now here's his counsel. He doesn't, here's how you know the difference between the devil and Jesus. The devil would say, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind. Look at you. And he stops talking. And he lets there just be this shameful pause rest in over your life. And you feel heaviness. You feel beat down. You feel discouraged. And there's no way out when the devil speaks to you. He builds a pen around you and it becomes your bed that you sleep in day and night. That's how you know the devil's speaking. He's creating an atmosphere of heaviness and weightiness that makes you bigger than God. And he plays on what he did back in the garden, which was the knowledge of good and evil. He plays on it. He plays it like a fiddle in your heart. And he says, well, you know that's evil. And you're like, yeah, I know. And he shames you for it. And look what Jesus does, though. In the next breath, he says, this is your situation you think that you're rich, that you're prosperous, and you have need of nothing, but this is your current reality. And he goes, but here's your way out. I counsel you. Here's some counsel. Here's some wisdom. Here's a, here's a shining bright light in your mess. I'm giving you a light. Buy from me gold refined by fire. That's what he says, right? So that you may be rich. So he wants you rich. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this thing, but I, this is 
Good, I'm going to keep going, okay? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Sound familiar? Sound familiar from the garden? The shame of their nakedness? And look at the last thing he says. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Interesting. He's addressing their vision. <laughs> what went wrong in the garden? Their vision. And here he is at the end speaking to the church and he goes, you need something for your vision. Your vision's jacked up. You need, you need salve for your eyes. Why? Because you're blind. Who are you blind to? You're blind to God. You're blind to God. That's who they were. They were open to themselves, but they were blind to God. So we need salve to open our eyes so we can see God. Look, 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 look. Here's why. So he gives them this open door of counsel. He says, buy from me. And he says, look, those whom I love, I reprove in discipline. Do you see it? Reproof and discipline is sort of God's way of, of, of showing you this is what you say, but this is reality. That's what his discipline looks like. This is what you say. Oh, you say, I'm good. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. That's good. He goes, that's what you say. And I say, that's wrong. That's producing death in your life. You say treating your wife this way is fine because that's the way your, your dad did it. But he says, that's not the way I treat my bride. You say, I'm just going to live in fear the rest of my life. He says, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Are you with me? You say, but he says, that's discipline. And you get a choice to repent, mean to go, okay, this is what I say, but I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind and go, you know what? You're right. And I'm going to acknowledge this place where I'm wrong. And usually when you do that, you get to step through the door that he gives you to get out of that place. That's why, that's why reproof and discipline is so life-giving to the wise because they know it leads to a better reality. They know it leads to intimacy and freedom and joy. That's why people who are wise love being rebuked and corrected by their father because it always leads to life. It never leads to condemnation and shame. The only people that don't like correction are people who are used to it in the wrong way or they're just stubborn. So look... <clears throat> I love, I reprove and discipline those I love. And he says, so be zealous and repent. When he says repent, I believe he's just saying acknowledge that that's what you have said and acknowledge that I'm right. <laughs> How many, if we can zoom out, that would be, that's like real easy. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and look, look what he says. Behold this is the church he's speaking to. This is people that belong to him. He's saying, I stand at the door and knock. Why is he out of the door? Why is he not in there? He's not in there because they said, I have need of nothing. They were gathering and they said, we are rich and prosperous and we need nothing. We have no need of God. They were blind to God, so they never invited God. They never cared. They continued meeting without God. Why? Because they thought through the knowledge of good and evil and through everything that they had done through their striving that they were rich and prosperous and they needed nothing. You guys can come up if the worship team, Oscar, if you want to come up, whoever. 
I'm going to land this thing. That's how you know. In these kind of settings, when he comes up and starts to play this song, you know that we're going down, okay? It's like the pilot. Okay, we're beginning our descent. Just a little help for you guys getting hungry. But this is good food. I don't... He's standing at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Look at this. All of this rebuke, this correction was so that he could have a meal with his friends. Look at the heart of Jesus. He wants to dine with you. He wants to fellowship with you. And I believe when he says, buy from me gold refined by fire, biblically, when you see gold, it represents divinity, the divine nature. That's why you see in the tabernacle, the the, the wooden elements, the perishable things would be overlaid with gold. It was a picture of Jesus, the the, the table in the the ark of the, uh, in the presence, the holy place. It was this perishable wood covered with gold, which was like a picture of Jesus, a man clothed in divinity. Gold represented divinity. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. He's saying, come and partake of my divine nature. When it comes to being like God, here's what he was saying. When he said you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, he, he wasn't saying in the natural you don't have clothes and you can't see and you, and you don't have any money. He's saying when it comes to true riches, which is fellowship with God, which is being like God, you're poor. When it comes to knowing God and having friendship with God, you're poor. Here's how you know how much of God you have. They say true generosity is measured not by, uh, by, by what you give, but by how much you have left over. So how much of God do you feel like you have to give to the world? And how much is left? That's how much, that's how much gold you have from God. And he says, I counsel you, if you're in this place tonight, I counsel you. If you think you have need of nothing, when it comes to friendship with God, how much gold do you have? How confident do you feel that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your friend? That's true gold. This is what he's saying. Buy from me gold. Partake of this nature with me of my Father. And then he says this. So that's one invitation tonight that's being offered by Jesus to this house. He's saying, hey, it doesn't matter where you're at in your friendship, there's more tonight. You You can buy from him tonight gold that's refined by fire. You can partake in fellowship with the divine. Some people, hear this is really important, some people settle with being friends of people who are friends of God. They try to get close to the people who are friends with God. But everyone can cultivate a friendship with God by just dining with him. Then he says, I want you to wear these these white garments so that your nakedness, the shame of your nakedness can be taken away. Do you know what those garments were? It says in Revelation 19, it says they were white fine linen, which was the deeds of of the saints. Do you know your robe of righteousness is what you do from a place of knowing God and being intimate with Him? 
the way you clothe yourself to feel to feel righteous we receive the gift of righteousness by faith but God gives us this gift and he says when you walk that out there's this white garment that's placed upon you that covers you with my very likeness in nature and he says that invitation is upon you tonight you feel like I don't feel right with God he says I will give you a gift and it's a robe called righteousness and all you have to do is receive it and the last thing he says is I'm going to give you salve for your eyes so that you can see God and you see from this text that he's addressing all of the issues that happened at the fall of man he's fixing their eyes he's clothing their nakedness and he's and he's giving them a new nature the divine nature so they can come back into right relationship with God do you see that in this text, Revelation 3, he's, he's offering them everything that they didn't know they had in covenant. So I want you to just stand to your feet. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to allow the words of Jesus just to penetrate your heart. Just be honest. Just be real at the table. Listen, you're at his table. You're not at a, you're not on the witness stand. You're not being interviewed or tried. You're at the table with the Lord. And he's broken his bread for you. And he's opened a bottle of his wine for you which is his blood which is his forgiveness and he says you belong at this table and I want you just to get real for a minute and just with that assessment he says of those people I'm rich I'm prosperous and I have need of nothing and just let the spirit of God say God have I had that perspective in my life as it pertains to knowing you in true spiritual friendship with God Have I been blinded to the smile of God? Have I been blinded to the affection of my Father? Is my heart numb? Am I lukewarm spiritually? Do I feel disconnected from God? Do I take more pride in what I do and how much I have in my bank account than my friendship with God? Is my identity being sourced from my relationships and from my passions and from my dreams? Or is it being sourced from the love of my Father? And if you answered yes to any of those questions tonight, there's an invitation, there's a grace. There is a grace from Jesus and I feel it so strong that he wants to baptize you in his love tonight he's just going to go straight to the root of your heart that question that you're doing everything you're doing you go well well, God would you even be friends with me I believe there's an experience of his love waiting for you tonight not just someone from a from a pulpit or a microphone telling you that God loves you, but a true experience, a tangible touch of His love. 
And if that's you, I just want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come just as an act of faith. And it's like you're coming to your Father. It's an acknowledgement of need. When you get out of a seat and you go, God, I'm coming, you're coming to Him spiritually, but you're also doing something physically. You're just coming down to the front. You're coming out and you're being in the light and you're acknowledging need and you're saying, God, I need your love. I need a fresh touch of your love tonight. God's not interested in just, he never just preached sermons. He always demonstrated the heart behind what he was saying. And I feel so strongly tonight that our Father in heaven, he's waiting. He's been waiting just to get to your heart. And for you to experience his love in such a real, deep way that no words, no sermon, no classes, no ministry could ever do but a touch of his love. Just one touch of your father's love, one glimpse of his smile, one drink of his heart for you. It's not too late. We'll just leave it open. If you have to go, you can go. But we're going to take a few minutes here and we're going to minister. The Father is going to minister to you. So Father, right now, I thank you for your grace over each of your sons and daughters, Lord. God, would you close their eyes right now by your Holy Spirit to their own nakedness and shame? Would you give them eye salve right now? They're coming, they're saying, I need eye salve, Lord. Come on, if that's you, just, just put it, whatever it is on your lips, just whatever, whatever it is, Lord, I want my heart to be connected to you. I want friendship with you, Lord. I'm I'm here buying gold from you. To buy from God is to give Him your time. It's to give Him your life. That's how you buy from God. You transact with God by giving, just just coming to Him simply as as a son or daughter to a father. Just encourage you, if you've come or wherever you're at in the room, just put it on your lips just for a minute. We're going to stay in this place and just minister just for a minute. Father, I just rebuke shame. Where shame has settled in, blinded your sons and daughters to your love God just remove it right now God every bit of shame there's no shame in the father's house there's no shame in his embrace it doesn't matter what you've done there's no shame says the Lord there's no shame he says if you were blind you would have no guilt you would have no sin just acknowledge your blindness that everything you've done has come as a result because you haven't seen him rightly thank you father I thank you for those white garments lord those robes of righteousness that are being handed out right now in the spirit
He doesn't just forgive you for what you've done. He he gives you a, a heavenly garment. He gives you a heavenly garment so that you can be confident before Him. So that you can... He's so merciful. He doesn't want you to be ashamed. He doesn't want you to be ashamed. He wants you to experience His love. He wants you to walk confidently before Him. Not arrogantly, just confidently. Confident in His love. Just receive that garment right now. Put it on. Wear it like you've received a gift from your Father that came at a high price. So Holy Spirit, come right now. Baptize these ones in your love. Just let Him embrace you. Let Him embrace you all across this room. Come on. Just let Him embrace you. You don't have to do anything. Just receive His love. Receive His affection. Stop looking at yourself. The devil, he's been trying to get you to look at yourself, your inadequacies, your failures. You say, I don't know where to look. Look at Him hanging on a tree. Start right there. That wasn't... You weren't there. That was Him. That was His love for you, knowing full well everything that you've ever done. Everything that would ever happen to you. heart surgery I I do believe it's heart surgery and I believe it comes with the heavenly just a heavenly love that will so calm and heal our hearts just a balm a heavenly balm upon our hearts that's healing and that's joy and that's life that's not heavy if you're at this altar, if wherever you are in this room, it's not heavy. His love is not heavy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Receive His love across this place. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Braveheart Podcast. For more resources, visit braveheartministries.org.